0: Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness which is an online training nutrition and mindset coaching business. First of all I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset, it's how you prepare, think and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Harth. And each week on the mindset athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Matt Langridge. Matt is a Olympic champion from Rio 2016 in the men's eight. He's also a four-time Olympian, having competed in Athens 2004, Beijing 2008, London 2012 and Rio 2016. He's a triple Olympic medalist, Beijing having obtained the silver, London a bronze and Rio the gold. He's a multiple world and European champion, a two-time British record holder and is currently training to become a pilot. So welcome onto the show, Matt. Jones, you're right I'm very well, thank you obviously to give some context to give some context to the listeners I've known Matt probably well I passed the call. i I was in the team for the four years that I was in the team from two thousand and six until two thousand and nine so I've known you gosh nearly fifteen years, so it took a long time to get going to get you on the show because obviously you were a couple of months ago, you were in South Africa on probably lockdown and, and didn't have the greatest internet. So obviously, we finally got it to hold you in one place. But Well, now you're back in the UK.
1: Yeah, and I was, I was actually out in Spain, but uh, oh, it probably America. had the, the same inter- same kind of internet connection as uh, South Africa. So <laughs> you're uh, not far wrong.
0: So straight off the bat, obviously, let's get rid of this bias that the sport of rowing has. Ultimately, you, you and I both know that the senior team is not made up of mostly people that go to public school or private school for the Americans. Why do you think that bias still exists?
1: Um, I think a lot of it for me is probably tradition. Um, Obviously, it's it's like a lot of things, it's changed, but... uh, it takes it takes a certain amount of time for it to change internally, but then it takes even longer for the perception to change. Uh, obviously, there are traditional things like Henley Regatta, the boat race, which are traditionally public school event. Obviously, if you look at Henley with uh, the type of attire everyone wears and then the same with the boat races, it's still going to keep that perception of uh, being very public school um, within the sport. But I think, I mean, in my career, uh, since I started it's it's changed massively i think um to the point now where actually i think very little of the the elite level side is, is is from the public schools now um i think the clubs uh deliver a lot more than they used to in terms of um athletes and but then also we all we've had a, other other kind of projects within uh, within the sport, like um, Product Awesome, which was a great one, uh, which my club was involved in, where they kind of went round to state schools, you you kind of um, and they they basically gave more people the opportunity uh, to try out the sport. And I think it's it's showing now that uh, you can find talent anywhere, and it's great because I mean I'm I, I didn't personally go that route. I was originally inspired by watching the Olympics and kind of made me want to go down and join my local club uh but I think thats it's just great having the opportunity and delivering the sport to more people but it will as i said like i said at the beginning it will take just time uh, to change that perception and people's view on it and um yeah it's it's um there it is an elitist sport but actually now i think it's obviously going to have a certain amount of elitism to because of um in terms of where rowing clubs are obviously they have to be near river um so you you're going to struggle in the middle of a city um well obviously london's got a few but yeah it's this location is might might play an issue but i definitely think it's so it's open to everyone now
0: and you, you obviously said that you were inspired by the olympics do you think obviously you've rode in the four, the prestigious blue, blue yeah blue ribbon event of the men's program What's it like being a person on the inside of that, having to live up to those expectations year on and year out to deliver?
1: Um, Well, I think I mean I mean certainly for us, uh, I mean the Blue Ribbon event is actually the eighth in terms of rowing terms, but obviously because of uh, uh, Steve Redgrave and um, in Sydney, and then the success we had in the four for uh, us as a nation, obviously the four has been seen as our kind of the boat we've. We've kind of made our own, uh, but yeah, as a team, I think the the standard's been set so high that now that you, it's almost expected um, to that, you, that that we're going to get gold medals. We're going to get medals. So actually, uh, and in some ways, that's great. It's great to be able to be part of that team. Um, but also, the downside to that is that it means that for guys who maybe go to Olympics and don't win, uh, they just they just they're just an Olympian, you almost come away feeling a bit of a failure because um, it's almost expected if you're a rower as part of the British team, you're going to come away with a medal. Whereas actually, just going to the Olympics is a great achievement in itself. Um, but I think because of this expectation that rowers win gold medals or rowers win medals, um, it's kind of deemed almost if if you come away without one, that you've, you've, not, you've underachieved and underperformed. But actually, there's a lot of sports where just going to Olympics in that sport is, is a great achievement and it should still be celebrated but I think unfortunately with, with rowing that yeah, we've set such a high standard now that um, not everybody can come away with a gold medal and not everyone can come away with a medal but it doesn't mean that the kind of achievements are of going or any less but I think yeah, in some ways that's kind of the downside to being so successful as a team but the upside to it is that it's a mass when you're part of the British team and you're there's that expectation on you. It's a massive confidence boost that, you, that you're training within a team that delivers gold medals. You're not, you're not the first person trying to tread an untrodden route. You're kind of following many people before you and, yeah, it definitely gives you confidence that you're in a programme that's going to deliver medals and gold medals.
0: So do you think from that basis the answer that you've given me, Matt, was Athens a failure then in, in, after the fact of going then, for you personally?
1: Yeah, in my eyes, it was. Um, I think certainly the expect. I mean, I was only twenty one, um, so it was, obviously it was my first games. But my expectation was, to, I don't know whether it was to win, but it was certainly we were we were hoping to medal. Um, we thought we probably we thought we should have. So to not make the final uh, was really disappointing, uh, and definitely for me, Athens was. I mean, I was fortunate that I came away. From that I had another three Olympic Games to go to. Because if I'd if I'd gone to Athens and that'd be my only one, I'd definitely ruined the opportunity. Um, I was so focused on the result and uh, achieving a medal that when we didn't, I just uh, for me, as far as I was concerned, I didn't enjoy the rest of the games. I didn't enjoy the experience. I mean, if someone had put me on a flight and sent me straight home, I'd have been happy at the time. And it's only later when I was kind of back in the UK and people were asking me about. I don't know what it like to go to the Olympics and telling me how amazing it must have been. And I I just didn't enjoy the experience. But I then suddenly realized I'd actually missed out on this this great opportunity. And because I've been so obsessed with having to get a medal, that I missed out on a this great opportunity and to enjoy an experience that most people never get to do. Um so after that after Athens and I really made sure that I said, if I was lucky enough to go to another one, so when I was in the build-up to Beijing, I kind of made a a deal with myself that no matter what the result was, I was going to park it, enjoy the games, enjoy the rest of the experience, and then I would deal with whether the the result two, three months down the line when I was back in the UK. But I wasn't going to let that affect the enjoying the experience because I said it's kind of an experience that yeah, you, you are very lucky to um to be able to go and experience, and a lot of people would say so would, would uh would be desperate for that opportunity
0: so let's fast forward then to london twenty twelve then was it little bit because you'd beaten the if it might be, serves me right you'd beaten the Germans most of that season
1: uh no no we so we hadn't in the eight um so london uh London was kind of a mix, um, so the Germans were definitely the favourites going into it. Uh, the Germans had won every race from uh, Beijing to, so in Beijing they'd actually, I think they'd come last um, in the eighth event. Had gone away, had obviously worked very hard, and then they won every race from Beijing through to London. So, and we'd we definitely had an eight, I believe, was capable of winning, but we'd had. We had a terrible season. We had um, we were going really quick early on, but then we had an injury to our stroke man, um, obviously a key key seat uh, right before the first first race, and that had kind of derailed it. Um, I don't think we coped. Uh, we didn't cope very well with the setbacks. Um, rather than keeping calm and relaxed. So was, it was kind of panic stations. So we turned we up in London, definitely not the favourites. Um, and actually the Germans beat us in the heat. Uh, so we went to the final and we, we kind of we knew that probably if the Germans raced their race and we raced our race, um, the Germans were most likely going to win. Um, we felt that if we just raced our race, we'd probably get the silver. But obviously London, home games, it was that kind of one chance to to go and kind of win gold in front of your home crowd. So we kind of sat down and to be honest, that was probably the first time we really kind of came properly together as an eight and really decided that, yeah, okay, we're going to all be committed to this one goal. And we decided kind of to risk it and really go at the Germans. And the kind of simple strategy was to go off so hard that, that we put them under so much pressure that they would crack. Um, They would, yeah, and hopefully that we we could put them off their game, put them off their stride, and it was kind of working. Uh, we have two, three hundred meters to go to the line, uh, but then sometimes you've got to give your opposition credit, and they 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 kept their cool, they kept composed, um, and yeah, we they didn't crack, and we did instead. Um, we just kind of ran out of steam, pretty much. Uh, so I think for that, the German, uh, the Canadians slipped us on the line. Um, so we kind of slipped back into the bronze. I think we, to be honest, I think it'd been another I don't know, five, ten meters. We'd have lost the bronze as well. Uh, we were going back pretty quickly. Uh, Backwards pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I mean, for me though, um, although I have a lot of regrets about what we, the way we did the season, I don't have any regrets about what we did on the day. Um, I was ever, like, I was genuinely quite proud that we were prepared to take that risk and go all out for the gold medal. And I still do the exact same thing again. I think you get those. Yeah, you don't get many opportunities to go for Olympic gold medal in front of your your home crowd. And yeah, I take that every time. So,
0: So talk to me. What is it like? Because I have no idea. I've obviously been to two games, but no medals. What's it like to have the set?
1: Um, Yeah, it's it's a weird one because I. Uh, I mean, obviously, yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to say I'd had four gold medals, um, but in some ways, and it's it's hard to explain because people see Olympic silver medal, or Olympic bronze medal, and they they. I mean, it's a great achievement, um, and obviously, for me to try and say yeah, I was disappointed that that I got the silver and the bronze, um, it, like a lot. Of, it's hard for people to understand. Um, but I think the only way I can really kind of explain it is the fact that for us we were going there for the gold. Um so when you don't get the gold you feel like you've missed the mark. If i if we'd been if I were if kind of if we'd gone there wanting to get a medal and got the bronze and the silver, then I'd have been over the moon. Uh, we'd have achieved what we set out to achieve. Um if we'd set out to try and get in the final and got in the final then but when you've kind of set this target, this is what you want to achieve and you miss it, you can't help but feel that you've failed a little bit. Um, I guess, I don't know, it's like anyone, if you're going for a, two, if you're going for a first in your degree and you get a 2-1, I mean, for me, I think that's about, it's a fantastic achievement. But for the person going for the 1st we'll probably be disappointed. Um, so, I, yeah, the, the bonds and the silver, I was definitely disappointed that I hadn't got the gold. Uh, but I think now having got the full set, I think that those disappointments have made me appreciate the gold so much more. Um, I think kind of knowing that uh, it's hard to say that you've got bronze and silver medal as a setback. But for me, they were at the time. um, And to be able to pick yourself up and then go again and then finally achieve the gold medal um, makes it so much more special. So, yeah. So now I've got the full set. You can appreciate it. But (laughs) I don't know how it would have been if I'm...
0: (laughs) So, obviously, you know the wall in Cavisham. I mean, I think is it only gold medals that's on on that board? You know,
1: no, it's um, it's medals.
0: Oh, that's not too bad. So that my my question isn't irrelevant then from that one. But be it, oh, that building, the building would have opened in two thousand and six. Do you think? I think rough. Rough. I think it was just before the 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 home games in the in, in Dorney the, for the for the World Champs. Then,
1: yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah.
0: Do you think having to look at that in the run up from going from obviously 2006 to all the way to Beijing and not seeing your name on that list, what 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 went through your mind on a daily basis?
1: Uh... I mean, I think at that time, the, so the teams evolved a lot from when, I mean, when I first started in the team, um, it was only Reg, Reg and Pinson or Reg, Reg, and Cracknell that were winning gold medals. Um, everybody else was, so when I first started in Athens, um, we obviously had the four that won, but then nobody else in the on the men's side made the final. Um, so at that time, it was kind of seen that yeah, okay. The um I don't know, you, you you kind of put them on a pedestal and you don't at the time it's it's trying to bridge the gap a little bit. But then the more I've been in the team and the more more people have started to to win and be successful. And then now so we're kind of in a completely different situation. By the time I'd finished in Rio, it was a very different team and a different attitude um to what it was when when I was in Athens, uh, in Athens, it was said it, it was almost like they were expected to win the gold medal and everyone else was just scrabbling around to trying to make the final. Whereas by the time time I was in Rio, I mean, genuinely every every boat had a potential to get a medal. Um, I mean, everybody could have. Uh, it was such a, the team had just come on so much. And the, the attitude within the team was that, yeah, we were so strong that, Um, so I think it definitely changed quite a bit between that time Um, I mean for me uh, I guess it wasn't so much about having my name on the wall it was just about getting that gold medal and wanting to be uh, be Olympic champion and yeah it was always um, I mean that was the thing that was always driving me obviously you have lots of things along the way that lots of little goals along the way that you want to achieve but yeah in the back of your mind it's always about trying to to win the Olympics.
0: Do you think it obviously success breeds success? Then from from going from 2004 to obviously the actually I think the most successful was 2000. Uh, actually, the Beijing Games where I think almost every boat won a medal across the whole team.
2: Um.
0: No, London. Yeah. Sorry, London. Sorry, not Beijing. London.
1: I'm trying to think now. There's been uh, so many games I can't keep up. I can't, I'm trying to Yeah, I think um yeah, I think I mean to answer yeah, I think definitely success does bring success. I think for me, um it's as I said when I first joined the team, it was it was Matthew and James and they were almost I don't know, they were almost viewed on this completely different level to everybody else. So in 2004, it was kind of, they were, I said, put on a pedestal on the team and everyone else was kind of at a different level. Uh, But then in 2005, then we had, uh, obviously they retired and then we had the four win in 2005. But they were guys that previously had been the same level we'd been at. So suddenly, as soon as kind of people that you see as your counterparts are winning gold medals, then it's amazing how quickly everybody, the expectation of everybody goes up. Um, and that's kind of how I went. As soon as kind of the uh, force, the fall without Matthew and James started winning, then everybody started looking at them and going, "Okay, well, hold a minute." If, like last year, they were the same level we were. Now they're winning gold medals. If they can do it, we can do it. And I think that's the attitude now within the team, where you, you train week, day and week, uh, week in week out together. So, when guys in your team are winning gold medals, and you're training along the same you're training the same level they're training and producing the same speeds and um, results in training, then the expectation is like well if if they're winning gold medals, we can win gold medals um, and that just lifts the whole team and I think it's the the hardest thing I think is always to be first uh, i mean it in all sports um, i mean if you even if you look at athletics, I remember when when Bolt won in Beijing, um, and he was streaks ahead of the field, and then in London he he obviously won again, but he, but wasn't as far in front of everyone yet. His time was quicker, and I think because once one person set these new these new boundaries, these new levels, everybody lifts their game because it becomes possible. And a lot of it is break when you break these kind of mental barriers that people put on themselves that you, people only run so fast or row so fast or lift so much but once somebody else does it then everybody realises it's possible and I don't know I think that's the thing for me is it shows how much of a mind game sport is and how much um, yeah it, it, there's so much of it is mental um, and yeah sometimes it's hard to quantify
0: So why do you think Jürgen, Jürgen Grobel has been so, su- so successful with that team for so long though? the men's in particular?
2: Um.
1: Well, I think obviously we, um, I mean, like I said, with, um, I think obviously it started with Stephen Matthew. uh, So when he came over, um, he obviously had Stephen Matthew as full time athletes. They were physically pretty phenomenal um, and they were able to. To win, to win gold medals. And then from that, obviously, it's got more, it's inspired. I mean, I, I said at the beginning, I'm an inspiration for the Olympics. So I was actually watching Stephen Matthew in 1996 that got me into rowing. Um, I mean, i would never really heard about the sport. I've never um, really paid any attention to it. But at the time, I was massively into sport. So when the Olympics were on, I used to sit down for two weeks, be completely glued to the TV. Uh, I used to watch everything. Um, And then in 96, we weren't, as a a British team, very good at the time. Uh, Oh, sorry, we weren't as successful as we are now. Um, So the only gold medal we got was in the rowing. And obviously that meant that it kind of got my attention. And then after the race, I remember people were talking about how tall people made good rowers. And as a kid, I was quite tall. And then from that, I realized there was a rowing club five minutes away from my house that I kind of walked past every day, but I hadn't paid any attention to because I was rowing. So I then went down and so I'm, I'm kind of was inspired by the Olympics. And I'm sure if I was, then um, there's probably lots of other, lots of the people who were the same. Um, so that's kind of obviously started the ball rolling. Um, we are obviously, I think the other thing is that, yeah, he's, he's obviously a very good coach. He kind of knows how to train, um, how to train and, and then has the confidence in what he's doing Uh, because he's been successful through the years Uh, but then also I think the funding um, the funding plays a massive part if you can uh, I think I'm probably wrong but I think the funding came in 2000 or 2004 and it's it's no it might have been before that might have been earlier but um, I think it's no surprise that since funding's come in that the team has got more and more successful because Uh, It requires so much to get to that level. If you can be a full-time athlete and you can do all these, you can do everything you can to the best of your ability. Then yeah, you're going to be able to perform better. So um, I think so. There's there's various things that have made him so successful, but I think it's yeah, it's kind of grown with him.
0: Is there anything that you miss from those 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 heydays?
1: Um, I miss the racing uh i mean for me for me it was very much about the racing i loved the racing um i didn't massively love the training uh i loved the racing in training um but yeah just the the mileage every day i yeah, i'd never say it was i was yeah, I mean, some some of the guys love training they love the kind of the grind um, but for me that was very much a, i did it it was a means to the end to because i enjoyed the racing so much um so yeah I, I miss that I miss the summer racing um I think the uh definitely the the uh, the the kind of camaraderie with the team I miss uh it's weird though I mean I was in the team so long and it's only when I retired in my final year that I repre- I, le- I realized to appreciate it uh so there's a lot of things if I went back when I was, to when I was 20 um I tell my younger self, but yeah it's, it's it's weird It's only when I decided that Rio was going to be my last games that suddenly all these training camps I've been on for I don't know fifteen, sixteen years that I was so fed up and bored of and used to dread then suddenly actually I really appreciate them knowing that I was never going to go there again uh i mean so- Seattle Nevada is a particularly miserable one um but actually, I was able—I was able to go there, knowing it was my last time, and think, okay, well, yeah, I need to really make the most of it. Enjoy being around the guys, enjoy being part of the team, and—and and yeah, suddenly, my last year was my most enjoyable one. But <laughs> it's always the way.
0: And obviously, you have always have have and always will do have a love hatred with the uh, goal rowing machine for anybody else that is not a rower. And obviously, you took it up not to look back up again. Recently, obviously, because of lockdown, what what was, yeah, that? What it, was that like?
1: Well, I think that just shows how desperate it was in lockdown, to <laughs> Uh Yeah, I mean, my, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if we didn't have the uh, the row machine or the ergos we call it, it would it would have made my life a lot easier. Uh, I, I definitely, yeah, I never really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I didn't, I didn't actually mind the testing. I, I enjoyed the short stuff on it. I enjoyed, I actually didn't, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, people might think I'm a bit crazy for it, but I actually enjoyed like the 2,000 metre tests and um, anything like 2,000 metres and below, I used to enjoy. I enjoyed really pushing myself. Um, the bits I didn't like was just the long, boring grinds, the 20Ks, the uh, the half hours I used to dread every week because yeah, it's just kind of that, that, that dull, <laughs> uncomfortable feeling. I'd almost rather be really intense for a short period of time rather than that kind of, yeah dull ache that you used to get in the long stuff. Um, but, yeah, so, but, yeah, I think that, so for me, that probably just shows how bad lockdown was. Um, I, I'd had I'd had quite, because I'd been away from it for so long, it wasn't so bad because I was able to, initially, I was, when I first stopped, I didn't want to go anywhere near it because you're just seeing your scores get worse and worse. Whereas I think my scores have got so bad that every day it got slightly better. So in some ways I got a bit of reward from it again. But yeah, it was only a short fleeting moment to kill a bit of time during lockdown. It's definitely not something I'll be uh, pursuing in the long term.
0: Is that because it was obviously your job for so long and obviously your hatred? Or I probably could generalise that and say most rowers hate that the objects were a passion yeah active of their level
1: i think i probably hated more i hated more than most i think i think i said i think most people hate the short stuff as i actually enjoyed the short stuff i just hate the long stuff um but yeah i think it's just it was just the monotony of it all and i think i mean i think when i first started rowing i was very much about i enjoyed the feeling of the boat i enjoyed being outside and i i think for me the the fact that there was no real technical element to the rowing machine I didn't kind of uh, there is a certain technique but in some ways it's it's quite different to in the boat um, so in, this, yeah, in some ways I it for me it never felt quite like the boat um, I mean I had it row perfect for a while which I actually much prefer because it, it there's a bit more technical element to it um, and it gave me something to focus on whereas yeah the the ego just felt like a grind the whole time. and um, Yeah, it's definitely a machine I never... Yeah, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with. Mainly hate, but not a lot of love.
0: Is that even irrespective of Sierra Nevada? Because to give people some context that have either not seen that YouTube guys do, showcasing uh, themselves on training camps and that gives me, I think, a great insight to some of the pain that you have to endure? Uh, you oh, but yes.
1: But Sierra Nevada for me was probably the worst thing in Sierra Nevada was first thing in the morning and 20 kilometers on the row machine. I was probably, I had to, by the end of it, I used to, I used to really have to psych myself up for it. Because it was so miserable. It would just be, your body would be half asleep. Uh, it felt like, I mean, some people cope differently with altitude. Um, so if people listening that, I mean, it's 2000, The best way to describe Sierra Nevada is a leather centre on top of a mountain. It was built for the Spanish, the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. So it's a high altitude training camp. Uh, There's no water. It's it's just land-based. So it's 40 kilometres a day on the rowing machines. It's weights, a bit of football, maybe the odd bit of running, a bit of swimming, but it's mainly rowing machine and weights. Um, And, yeah, the worst session was always... 20 kilometers first thing in the morning because your body is half asleep. The last thing he wants to do is kind of um, is jump straight on a row machine and then from stroke one be expected to pull a split. Um, and then you add that, the fact there's no oxygen. Uh, and I, I said people deal differently with altitude. Some people, it doesn't really affect that much. For me, it used to affect me. I used to struggle quite a bit. Um, so it was like breathing through a straw. My mouth would be like sandpaper. Because I just just felt like the air was so dry. Um, you just yeah, there was no airflow, so your your skin just felt like it was on fire. It was yeah, it was just from stroke one to finish, it was just miserable. Uh, and as you see, I mean, if you can see the videos, yeah, it was it's pretty it's pretty awful. And uh, yeah, that, that that definitely for me was the camp I probably hated the, 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 like dislike the least. Uh, on top of that, the food was dreadful, which uh, never. <laughs> and the co- worst thing about it was the coaches just sneak off early, midway through our rowing sessions, to to get all the best food. <laughs> so, so by the time we we finished and we we got to the canteen, all the best food had gone.
0: <laughs> so, uh, of the of of Sierra, Sierra Nevada is the worst. Which one's the best camp that 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 you can remember to memory then?
1: Uh. So, well, so one of my favourites one used to be Cyprus. So we used to go to, uh, this amazing hotel in Cyprus, but it was cycling. And I've always loved cycling. Um, so I used to, my coach when I was a, uh, junior used to be a cyclist and he got me into cycling. And I've, I've always loved cycling. So that was probably one of my favourite ones. Um, cause it was an amazing hotel, like food, like food was great. But then obviously the fact that we, like the majority of the training was on the bike. Um, I really enjoyed. Uh, but then actually probably my favourite camps were the the, the the last camp before either the Olympics or the World Championships because it'd be in the middle of summer, um, the mileage would be coming down, which you might have gathered. I was never a fan of long distance. <laughs> I was always a fan of the shorter, more intense stuff. So the mileage would be coming down, the, the speed won't be going up, which is Stuff I enjoyed I enjoyed the speed work I enjoyed the racing and training um so yeah I think that was always my favorite we used to go to Abelette for a long time which was just beautiful um yeah it'd be really nice in the summer you finish a piece and then jump and then jump in to cool down and yeah it was It's probably Abelette I think it was probably one of my favorite yeah so Cyprus and I'd probably uh so so kind of my favorites we used to go to South Africa in January which was Always quite nice to escape the, the British winter for a couple of weeks. Uh I mean it was a hard hard, hard camp. Um so training wise it would be pretty but just the fact that you're you're away in South Africa you in the in the middle of the January blues is uh always made always made it a little bit better.
0: So let me ask you an even more difficult question now, Matt. Obviously of the fifteen career plus that you were able to row from a competition standpoint. What was your best regatta course to race at and why?
2: Uh,
1: I probably, So my favourite is, is probably still Lucerne. Um, and I've had really mixed results there. I've had some of my best races there. Uh, I mean, probably the best racing I've done has been at Lucerne, but also some of the worst has been at Lucerne. Um, I think for me, uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful place, it's kind of right in the middle of uh, the Swiss Alps, so you've got the mount. it's surrounded by the mountains, but it's right near the town as well, so it makes, like, for spectators, it's great, because it means there's no kind of getting buses out to the, I mean, a lot a lot of the lakes we used to race are uh, well out of the city, so... It can be a bit of a pain getting spectators back into, whereas this is in the city, so people can come down and enjoy it. And it's it's just a really nice place to race, and it's it's also the last race before the end of the season. Uh, sorry, before the break, before we do the World Champs and the Olympics. Um, and I always felt that the more racing I did, the better I got. So um, yeah, I kind of felt that generally I was kind of on top form at Lucerne. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. So I although yeah, I've had some dreadful races there, but I've also kind of had some of my best ones, I think. Um, I think if I think to my best race in Lucerne, probably probably uh, where I've had the best racing. So uh, Henley has also, for me, also been pretty special. Um, I had various arguments throughout the years with Jürgen about being allowed to race Henley, because for me, um, yeah, okay, it's not on our racing calendar. It's... it's um, He's probably not given the same weight as a world cup or a world champs or the Olympics for me. It's as it's the British team, yes, yeah, we should always be there representing. And Sometimes Jurgen felt that the world cup should take priority, but I personally would have always put Henley in front because it's just, it's, it's just kind of a um, the atmosphere is just incredible. Uh, racing down, having 100,000 people down the bank cheering, cheering you on that one, that one and one as well. I think you kind of can't beat it. Um, so. Uh yeah, so I think I, throughout the years, I've kind of raised some uh, pretty, uh, in terms of venues for the Olympics, I'd probably say Rio is most spectacular. Uh, the In terms of the venue, because it's on a natural lake right in the
2: centre, uh, I'd probably say out of the Olympics, that was the most spectacular.
0: And do you think coming back to the, the 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 one where you said about Henley, do you think obviously the the traditional aspect of it of of it being so symbolic of the sport as well?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think for me, it's just, um, yeah. I mean, I think I, obviously a lot of people they
1: they like the connotation kind of side of it. They like, and I do I do think that I think that the. Um, the traditional side of it's great that's why it's so kind of um, so special um, I think they've made some really good advances though with terms of the TV coverage um, I mean in terms of re- watching rowing on TV Henley for me the coverage in Henley is way better than any of the other stuff uh, as obviously I've been retired for four years so I'm now a spectator rather than an athlete um, and yeah, I could genuinely sit down and watch all the rowing at, at, Henley and enjoy it. It's kind of, it's, it's, the coverage is really good. I think that's a kind of good advancement in it. But I think as an, as a athlete point of view, it's just, yeah, the atmosphere is yeah, racing down kind of, um, yeah, just being that, I don't know, that kind of side by side, just you and one of the crew waiting to see who cracks. You just can't beat it. Um, I think it kind of just brings a different dimension to sport. It's, it's different to, to multi-lane racing. Um, I mean, obviously, multi-lane racing, you're usually, if, if you're a favourite crew and you're in the middle of the lake, you're genuinely quite a long way from the crowd. Um, and the racing is a bit more, uh, It's a bit more A to B, because whereas Henley, obviously, you have to race your opposition. If you get dropped and you get behind, then they can they're in the kind of driving seat and can do so much to put you off your game. It's so it's a bit more kind of
2: you've
1: you've you've got to it brings in that competitive element, which I enjoy. I enjoy that kind of sitting on the start line and just say, yeah, okay, let's let's go and see who's gonna crack first. Uh and then being so close to the crowd, I think there's just nothing like it. Um yeah, I mean, that that's the one we get to, actually, since I've, met, since I've finished racing, that when I've been down, I really wish I'd been on the water. Uh, I I've, can watch the World Cups, the World Champs, and kind of be happy that, that I've done my time. And, yeah, obviously it'd be nice to race, but I'm not desperate to be there. Whereas Henley, uh yeah, I stand at the side of the bank and I wish I was on the water. Uh, which is weird, because for years I always... I was always on the water wishing I was on the bank, but <laughs> that's always the way.
0: So let's go to the other end of the spectrum as well, then, Matt. So you say you hated the distance stuff. What's your take on the, when you had to do heads and, and things like that?
2: Um, yeah, I was never a fan of them.
1: <laughs> uh, they were all right when I was younger because when you, like, when I was growing up and they, um, yeah, I kind of used to do them uh, on a club level. I was quick enough to make them into a race so you could overtake people. Whereas by the time you get to, like, international level, like, the only kind of head stuff we do now are at trials or the eight Um Yeah, everybody is such similar speed and there's no real overtaking. Um, so it's just a time trial. And, yeah, it's, it's never really been something I've massively enjoyed. Uh, I enjoy ne- being next to a crew. Um, I, I used to, I did enjoy the eight head. Um, one of the funniest things, actually, though, we used to do before the eight head was because um, uh, I was racing for Leander. We'd ha- usually have a uh, match match race against Oxford or Cambridge. Uh, we used to alternate, and uh, we wouldn't do the full boat race course. We'd usually do half of it, but that I used to love. I used to love doing that that kind of side of it um, much more than I did the head. Just yeah, for me. For me, I like the competitive element. I like the being side by side, seeing who's going to crack first. Um, whereas, obviously, when you race against the clock, it's you're never going to beat it. it usually, it's me who cracks, and not the clock. So, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I never, never really. I don't know. I, I never really managed to, to find the same kind of performance in the in the time trial stuff as I did did in the side by side. I don't, I don't know why. Um, I just used to always be able to find an extra gear when I was side by side. I remember uh, at trials we used to even when I was backed in the single uh we did the time trial and I think i'd I'd have gone absolutely max out and that was the best I could give and I look at the result and I'd be uh, down in like tenth place and wondering how the hell I was going to make the a final and then suddenly we get side by side and it finds me I was I as open as leading and it was a completely different different ball game and i don't know I don't know where it came from, but yeah, never could manage to. Replicate the same performance against the clock as I could, I could against um, opposition. So, um, but I do think that the heads heads have got their place in rowing. Um, I don't know. I, I do find though, as a sport though, it's a bit of. Sh- I mean, for me, it seems like there's a lot more head racing and very little regattas in comparison, which I, I, I feel is a real shame. I, I think it's, it's a bit domestically i find it a bit weird that people train so much go through the miserable winter do all the heads and then they usually knock it on the head by beginning of july after henley's done and it's like well you've still got you've still got the rest you've still got two three months of the summer where you could be racing and like i said for me that's what the sport was about It was about racing so um yeah i think uh, maybe i was unusual but it seems the sport's a bit weighed in Kind of a bit too weighted towards the head season than the regatta season for me, but um, I'm not in charge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, my penultimate question to you, Matt, is if you had to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive, who would that be and why?
2: Oh,
1: um, any athlete dead or alive. I put him, Muhammad Ali. Um, I don't know if that's too obvious. One, well, I'd like to give you a really obscure one that would kind of shock everyone, but I don't know. I mean, for me, he was just so charismatic. I think there's very few sportsmen who kind of um, gravitate beyond their sport. Um, I think obviously you've you've got like some Muhammad Ali, Usain Bolt. Um, Fedra's probably done it a little bit in tennis, or Michael Jordan. I don't know if you've seen the latest, uh, the Last Dance, which uh, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're guys who they're, they're more than just the sport. They kind of are able to kind of uh, known beyond the sport. I mean, I think whether you're into sport or not, I think everyone's heard of Muhammad Ali, and I think it's because of his charisma and his attitude and kind of what he did. And yeah, I mean, he's just for me, it's just more the fact that he just seems like it'd be so much fun to be around them. Um, so yeah but I, I think for me on a general level I think that's kind of what I um what I find really interested as a sportsman is and what's great about going to the Olympics is you get to chat to all the sports people and I find it really interesting to hear what we're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to all be the best at our sport, our sport but we're all doing it in very different ways. Like the the amount of training. I mean, I remember chatting to some of the sprinters after Rio and you listen to the amount of training they do compared to what we do. And it's completely different because the dynamics of it are completely different, but everyone's trying to do the same thing, just in very different ways. Um, so I find it, yeah, I find it really interesting to, to kind of chat to people and uh, kind of hear how it differs. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I one of one of the. One of the um, I remember chatting to someone's mum. Uh, it's one of the gymnast mum after Beijing, and she was saying about oh how like rowers we have quite short sessions, uh, because in gymnastics our session's, like three hours long, whereas ours are usually about an hour, two hours. And I was like, yeah, but the difference is it'd been almost like a gymnast swinging around the pole for constant because obviously ours is a constant, uh, constant session, and it doesn't. So they just differ in the way that they in their kind of approach but everyone's trying to do it the same way and be the best they can be uh, which is what I find really interesting though because I do think that yeah all sports are so different but you're trying to achieve the same objective um, so
0: I, kind and of, I did say that was a penultimate question but I, I, I want to get your take on on this if you had to kind of not summarize what what, what aspects of training rowing has if you had to kind of Give a snapshot of what kind of caliber athlete you had to you had to be for people outside of rowing. How would you describe it? Uh, uh,
2: it's a good question. Uh. Rowing's a really weird sport. Um, uh, people ask me to describe what what it is about rowing that you you I enjoy, and it's when you put on paper,
1: it sounds terrible. <laughs> you, you get up early in the morning, you go backwards, you you get cold, you get wet, you have to do a lot of training. Um, it's it's kind of one of those sports that when you write it down, you think, God, why on earth did I row for so long? But the only way I can really describe it is because it's so the training is so hard. You have to put yourself in that kind of uncomfortable place so much of the time. It makes that success so much more rewarding, um, and I think it means that yeah, it's kind of um, it means that when you when you do win, when you or even if you improve like it's even if it's like on a two-kilometer uh, row machine test the fact that you've had to work so hard for that improvement makes that so much more rewarding because nothing comes easy in rowing. Um, so, yeah, I think as an athlete, I mean, obviously, it's a strength-enjoying sport, but I think that the, the mentality that you have to have is almost kind of, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of difficult to really describe the mentality you have
2: to do in rowing because it's it's...
1: Uh, a lot a lot of it is just a, it's kind of it's it's uncomfortableness um you have to kind of i mean no i, I guess i'm not i'm doing it a disservice, service yeah when it's glorious day in the middle of summer it's nice and hot it, it's great there's nowhere better better to be than out in the water um but yeah i think i think for me it's that sense of satisfaction that of, of really know you've worked for something to, that when you achieve it, it kind of gives you that ultimate satisfaction. I don't know if I'm really answering your question in terms of kind of what, what athlete you have to be there. Uh, I think you
2: have to be, I mean,
1: I don't know. I mean, you, you did it. How would you describe? Uh,
0: well, the discipline was totally different back when I did it. It was only a thousand kilometers, uh, thousand kilometers, <laughs> thousand meters. Sorry. Uh, so the sport. Yeah, I, wish, was, uh, I wish I could have done your distance. That was so it's um, completely that different. Inter- well, street. we 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 were. I give you some context and give some context to the listeners. We were very much in agreement to go the opposite way, do like the Olympic distance. Every other country is like, no, we can't do. it. It's like, well, why? Ultimately, yes, the athletes need to get better, fitter and stronger we were doing that anyway we're doing like over distances like you guys would do anyway uh, as a component of to test to test the engine well if you can go more than the distance yes you have to make some allowances to account to be able to go a little bit further but we were we it's a totally different race two thousand meters to a thousand meters so uh, would i have been more successful in that career I'd like to say possibly, but I don't know. That's all hindsight, uh, and it's, it's all speculative, but it's very much probably like you did in, in, in London. It's gun to tape. It's no, there's no technical, technical about a thousand meters because you can just balls it out. Whereas 2000 meters in a smaller boat, which I was obviously in the double you've got to have some technique to be able to obviously increase the speed in certain parts of the race. Whereas, okay, might be a little bit jealousy towards other things, but there's no, there's no regret now with me. And I think ultimately I would have liked, and I think it has since gone up to 2000 meters and everybody's followed suit, but it's like comparing apples to oranges now a little bit. But I think, I would have been more than happy to have done 2000 meters because ultimately it's, 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 but well, we trained for it anyway.
2: Yeah.
0: It's a different dynamic t- to it. And I think, well, the time I was rowing my classification was the most, was the, after the, all the Paralympics, it was the most competitive. So by them deeming reclassifying, obviously me as well, cause that's why I left the sport. It kind of imploded and it went backwards for a little bit. I think it's managed to recover, probably about Rio times. So that's like seven, six, seven years later. But I thought they would have been a little bit more probably proactive. Ulti- ultimately, as us as a program, we would have still been successful in it with with GB anyway. So that's probably why other countries probably didn't. or we're not going to follow you because you're quite dominant as a program anyway. Why are we going to give you more of an advantage? But I think. I think where you said being comfortable being uncomfortable wherever I think should want to do that, because ultimately it's more satisfactory, it's more um you you appreciate it more ultimately, I've got World Cup wins and things like that, but no world champs no no Olympics or Paralympics to go with that, but I think where I'm quite content is that was, the, like you said, with, with uh, Steve and Matthew being like the first of the modern era to kind of springboard the Olympic program. I'm one of those first ones to have done it in in the Paralympic with, with Beijing being the first one. So I was probably the, one of the first to congratulate the double in my discipline when they won in Rio. It's like, yes, I'll get off my high horse and, and get out my way with the ego because ultimately... That boat was better than, than mine and I have to give it credit because ultimately he won. He won the event and then congratulations. And they were the first to say thank, thank you very much. And I think, uh, I was watching the world champs last year. Tom Dyson, who's the lead coach now, he actually said on television, I'd like to thank all the athletes that's pre- past and present. That's got. It's like, I oh, know not, you're not talking to me directly down the camera but i can appreciate obviously we've laid the foundations probably obviously to give some context to the listeners because you you and i were part of the same world championship teams it was very weird to then go you know 6 7 world championships 2008 split it was very like this doesn't feel you guys are out in beijing we're on a training camp watching you guys in in in, in spain so it felt very not awkward, but surreal. It's like, well, this normally would be all together. And I think, I think, like, you, like we said on the entirety of the episode, success breeds success. The Olympic program has got the pedigree. We're a part of that team normally. We have to deliver. And they've been the best team ever since. And We're at the Paralympics. And I think it's the one, it's the program to beat. I think, will it be like that for forever probably not but
1: I think, I think i think for me like like certainly from my side and uh, i think all like kind of we, we definitely have to owe a lot of our success to Stephen matthew i mean like i said they set it off for uh, the british team and then like i said i, I own big blue that success breeds success so i think uh yeah a lot of the athlete i mean Obviously, we're doing it in our own right. We're putting the hours in in our own right, but actually, they started the ball rolling for us. They started winning, and from that, they the team became stronger, and the money got pumped in. And then, and like you're right, same with you guys obviously you started in 2008, and then it, um, and then it's got grown and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you kind of you are you're always walking in the footsteps of the people who've trodden before you. Um, and it's hard. I mean, like it's 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 much easier to. Being a successful team and carrying it on, rather than be the first person to to kind of, to kind of go out there and do it. Well, um, also
0: you had them come round of, with their media uh, engagements as well. So they to, they were in and around the boathouse, obviously being a, a media perspective and uh, what 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 and and they and they obviously lived it and breathed it themselves. So they probably push, push you know the right questions. It's like okay, I'm not going to try and catch you out, but are you are you Prepared to handle this man.
1: Yeah, but I think for me, okay, I guess we're going off tangent, but like obviously, in terms of the sport, definitely the, the, there's the athlete side, but then there's also kind of as a sport, how I mean, I, I think rowing in itself is um, it, the, it's pretty obvious to where the Olympics are going now. Um, obviously, it, it's becoming more commercial. Um it's, it's definitely, I mean, the sports that have been brought in, they've been brought in because they're commercial and they bring in viewing rights and uh, they, they get media. And I, I definitely think as a sport, rowing needs to look seriously at itself and um, it needs to think about, okay, what can we do? Because otherwise, as a whole sport, on both it's in danger of, of missing out on it. It's probably actually uh, less... Um yeah, it's it's in danger of kind of losing its place in the Olympics if it's not careful because we don't bring in the viewers that other sports do bring in and we have big numbers. Um so I do think as a sport, like okay, yeah, it is this endurance sport and the sat like I said, the satisfaction is um yeah, you have to put yourself in a pretty deep place to win a two thousand metre race. Uh and yeah, okay, it's uncomfortable at time, but it gives you the ultimate Reward when you achieve it, however, as a sport, we do have to have a serious conversation about what what we can do to make it more spectator friendly more viewer friendly and it won't detract from the sport in my eyes it will just it may change it, but there might and i'm not the person who's going to decide but whether they do bring it down to a thousand meters, whether that for me it's worth asking the question because it might mean that you can get more venues closer to the city centre. So it's easier for spectators. Um, it might make the racing closer. It might uh, make it more feasible. It might mean you can do dub- more doubling up so you can make the numbers smaller. That might not be the answer. It might be something else completely different, but there probably needs to be some serious looking at the sport because otherwise it would, it might lose its place. And obviously as a, someone who's grown up and grown for so long, that's the last thing I'd ever want it to happen. Uh, but unfortunately, the way that all sports are going, they are becoming more and more commercial, um, commercial and we can't just rely on it being a traditional sport anymore um, because you will lose its place. And theres I think for me, there's lots of things as a sport we can do, um, but you almost have to have the, the courage to, to go away from the set format. Uh, I mean, I found myself as a having been in the sport for so long and then having stepped away from it, it's very, I mean, I don't know, you can tell me your view on it, but it's very easy to almost lose track of what's going on because it doesn't have much coverage. Um, Generally, the World Cups are shown at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning when most people are still recovering from a hangover. It's hard unless you're... And it's not because I wanted to, but it, it is quite easy to lose track of what's going on and who's who's company racing. And I do think that yeah, as a as a kind of um, as a sport, we have to look at how we can make it more commercial, how we can keep, get more interest in it. Um, I mean, and as athletes, we all all—I'm not in anymore—but people will easily adapt. Uh, at the moment, I mean, when I did the sport, it was very much you hide yourself away from the media. Um, for the whole two months before the Olympics, whereas other sports are getting interviewed uh, two minutes before they start their race. Um, So everybody else on, I mean, if you look at the F1, they're they're being interviewed on the grid um, five minutes before they hit the first corner, 200 miles an hour, whereas for us, we were seen like, oh, we can't possibly be distracted for three months before the Games. And then we question why as a sport, people aren't as interested in our sport as they are in other sports and for me, it's kind of obvious reasons. When you're hiding yourself away, you can't expect people to then be interested. Um, But that's said, I'm not involved in it, so unless somebody's going to ring me up and ask for my opinion then. Uh, But I I obviously, yeah, I'm now, I was an athlete for a long time and now I'm just a rowing fan, so for me, I kind of want to see that it it kind of does does develop and I'd, I'd hate for it to lose its place in the Olympics, but, I think unless they seriously look at it, it could be in danger of doing.
0: I've never even thought of that in terms of you've got to, and, and, and it, it's very much. I think you raise a good point there, Matt. That it's very much like life: if you don't evolve, you die.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's. it's you only have to look at the sports that are coming in. Um, I mean, I, I, you only have yeah to realise that yeah that they're coming in because they bring in they bring in money. They bring in viewers uh, and ultimately money talks. Um, and yeah, obviously it costs a lot to put the Olympics on and countries can't do it for free. They, sponsors pay a lot of money and they want to they get their money back. And so they are looking at sports. They're going to bring in viewers. Um, so we have to look at how we can bring in viewers. And I think the, the problem is you get the old diehards of, of Rowan who say, okay, we'll, we'll detract from the sport. But actually... All these other sports are able to do it, but still have the sport there'll still be a winners and losers, there will still be a race, it will still be over a distance um It just might not be what it always was, but you can start the sport ever competing um but i think yeah if if you if you're not prepared to change then then you might lose your place um and I think yeah I mean like you look around and other sports are constantly evolving because they know how much they need the financial side of it. Um so yeah, I think uh I think it's yeah there's probably some people need to put their heads together and and kind of come up with almost uh, put have a blank sheet of paper and say let's okay, let's try and put some ideas together and see what we can do because at the moment I think and that's why I mean go back to Henley. I think Henley's doing a great job. It's the one we get to that doesn't need to do it, because it does have does get a lot of interest, it does get the money, and it does have the people turn up to watch it, but they're still trying to do stuff, like with the, the, the coverage and everything, to try and make it more interesting, try and make it uh, more popular. Um, and it's, it's just a shame from my side that the rest of Rowan isn't doing it. If you look at the international regattas and the World Championships and the World Cups, it's still standing still. It's still the same format that hasn't been working for the last 15 years. And I think it's, um, I mean, it's been working from the athlete side, but not from the viewing sides. Um, and I think that the athletes will adapt. The athletes will always find a, like, they, they will, uh, they'll put a race on, they'll put a show on, they'll, they'll adapt. But, um, if we're not, if we're not careful, there won't be a, a sport for them to compete in. So um, I think, yeah, and he's probably looking at.
0: And my final question, is, and this is the final question to you, Matt. If you had to summarise what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be?
2: Uh... I
1: don't know. I mean, it's uh i think for me i mean obviously from i guess from my story it's a lot about persistence um
2: i mean it's
1: it, I mean, it's hard to to really to explain because obviously i, I never want people to um to think okay a, a silver and a bronze medal is something to be disappointed with uh, so it's hard to really explain it but obviously for me because i was going for the gold it was that doesn't that's not me trying to um, say that somebody who's got a silver medal shouldn't be happy with it, or a bronze medal shouldn't be happy with it. Obviously, they should be if that's what they're, they're trying to achieve. And But for me, it's, it, at the times, they're disappointing. And, and the thing, I guess, for me and my story in Rome was, it was the fact that I had the determination and persistence to carry on um, and finally achieve. And yeah, obviously, we mentioned now I'm trying to be a pilot and I'm having to again be tested because. Uh, due to COVID, it's probably the worst time to be in aviation. Um, and there's been a lot of setbacks along the way. I mean, it's probably actually my persistence has is, is being tested more now than it actually was ever as an athlete. But um, I think kind of my experience as an athlete probably stood me in good stead. Um, it's kind of taught me that, yeah, if you kind of have enough determination and, you're persistent enough and um then eventually you get to where you want to be uh it might not be a smooth road it might take longer than you thought it would but yeah hopefully i eventually get there and yeah it's obviously it's being tested now more than <laughs> i think it more than everyone's an athlete so um yeah for various reasons but yeah we'll uh yeah i'm sure i'm sure in the end i'll get to where i want to be
0: so once again matt thanks again for coming on the mindset athlete podcast
2: so, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to chat.
0: Well, it's been my pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Matt and I know what you thought of the episode by thanking us over on Instagram at Matt underscore Language 8. So that's M-A-T-T underscore L-A-N-G-R-I-D-G-E and the number 8. And as always, you can do the same at James O. Robert 11, so that's J-A-M-E-S-O, as in the the, the letter O, -O R-O-B-E-R-T-S, and the number 11, and again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook, and in addition, if you had any follow-up questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out his website, matlanguage.co.uk So that's M-A-T-T-L-A-N-G-R-I-D-G-E dot C O dot uk. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting I've also started a Facebook group, especially for the show, which you can find by typing in The Mindset Athlete. And last but not least, and not forgetting, I've also rebranded my other Facebook group to adapt, master, and improve your exercise and diet to help you lose 10 pounds plus. So make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category General. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.